Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome back to the second hour of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, of course, this hour we will have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report and Dan's Tip of the Week. We're going to do that again? Of course we're going to do that again. I hope you're prepared. I actually, I know you're prepared this time, and I think it's a really good one. I'm excited about it. I may have forgot. I've got it written down. We're good. We're good. (laughs) All right. Our our topic today, our theme, is gun-wise, rights foolish, and it's kind of taking a play off of... That old saying, penny wise, pound foolish, which means, you know, people get laser like focused on on tiny little minutia that's really not that important. And then they miss the big picture because what's really important, they they get careless about. And so um, I think that that applies to the whole idea of firearms and the political uh, landscape where everybody gets super focused on the tool itself. Right. But then they don't understand the laws that are in place. They don't know what the Constitution says. And so they go to the, the, the voting booths and they make foolish decisions about their rights because they don't know what their rights already are. And so they start voting away their rights. And so um, this hour, we've got a couple of really great guests. And the first one that I'm getting ready to bring on now is david cole he is a former u.s army officer so thank you for your service sir a police officer and a swat officer he's also now a contributor to ken blanchard's black man with a gun website dave are you with us i am i'm right here oh thank you so much for being here now you and i were recently talking uh just chatting on facebook about the issue of requiring mandatory training as a requirement for firearms ownership. And we quickly realized that you and I are both on the same wavelength that that's really not the best course of action. And I thought it would just be a, a great topic to bring here to the show and help other people understand why someone with your background, who is a firearms trainer, right? right. And somebody like me who is passionate about protecting my rights why wouldn't we want people to be trained, which would help, you know, save lives and protect our rights ultimately because people aren't misusing a gun? Why would we not think that that's the best idea? All right. And that's a, that's a great point because on its face, it seems like it's, to steal a term from the other side, common sense, right? Mm-hmm. That we would want to be better trained with firearms and it's going to make it safer. You're going to get less legal trouble and all that. And that, that is all true. Firearms training is a good thing, and my point would not be to discourage firearms training, but making it mandatory because, as we all know, going and getting any kind of advanced training costs money and it costs time, and we're talking about 
having to expend those resources in order to exercise what is a constitutionally guaranteed civil right. Mm-hmm. And, and here we are. I mean, if you look at the news today, here we are in a country now where states are losing court cases where they're asking to require voters to present ID to go vote. And that's those are getting thrown out because they're too restrictive. They disenfranchise people from their right to vote because it's too expensive or time consuming to go get an ID. Mm-hmm. And and now with training here, we're talking about probably spending even a couple hundred dollars minimum to go take a class to get some additional training, not to mention the time that goes into that. And, and it seems like people don't see that as the same kind of disenfranchisement or even worse. You know, I obviously agree with that. And I think it kind of comes down to, um, and I can't remember who it was that, that said this, one of the, the founders, that, you know, do you want dangerous freedom or do you want peaceful slavery? Right. And, you know, again, as a firearms instructor and I conceal carry every day, training is great. I enjoy it. I like going to a class. It can be fun. You can learn a lot and it makes adds confidence and proficiency to your everyday carry. But at the same time, when, when you're someone who may be economically disadvantaged, you live in a bad part of town and you need a gun for self-defense, but you can't afford to go take that class, then people who would mandate that kind of training are basically telling you, well, you know, it sucks to be you. And that's not fair. You know, that's not fair. It's a violation of a civil right. It's true. That's an interesting catchphrase. I wonder if the other side's going to pick that up. David, I'm afraid of the word mandatory anyway. I mean, if they did mandatory training, what does that mean? I mean, do we need to take a two-day course, three-day course? I drive a car. I've been driving a car since I was 16 years old, maybe a little sooner than that. Um, I could have went to a class that I paid to learn to drive. Or my parents and friends taught me how to drive. And I think that, well, my daughter won't agree, but I think I'm a good driver. (laughs) And um, what if it was a mandatory class for that, too? Look at the expense that we take. And and a car can be deadly, right? Sure. I mean. Sure. And you you bring up a great point because then, of course, the other thing you get into once you get into making the training mandatory is how much is enough, what standard has to be met. And that's always going to be arbitrary. Some bureaucrat somewhere is going to decide you have to shoot this percentage or you have to have this many hours. And it's always going to be arbitrary. And and the problem with that, aside from just the civil rights aspect and the disenfranchisement when you're when you're forcing people to spend money and time just to exercise a right, is is how effective is that additional training really? Well, and, I, I do want to say all three of us agree. Everybody should yeah. sure. take training. And Absolutely. We, we, we need to know what we're carrying, how we're carrying it, when to use it, when not to use it. I mean, we were having a conversation earlier about uh, when you're at a scene that you need to use your, that you may need to use your gun. You don't just automatically draw your gun out and start shooting. You, you train assess, yourself, right? Yeah, you assess the situation. Right. No, it's and it's absolutely, I'm absolutely not making a case for not getting training. Mm hmm. That's what but the, the other man, side will hear us say. You know that, but, right? But the, That's all right. they're going to hear. But but we've got an answer to that too. But but first, I just want to point out that if you go through, and I, I tried to look into this one time, and the data was so all over the place, I couldn't even make heads or tails of it, is to look up states that have very strict training requirements before you can get a permit. In some states, of course, you have to take a class just to get a firearms owner ID card just to go buy a gun to keep in your home. Mm-hmm. 
And you can look at states that have those strict training requirements versus other states that have much more lax requirements and try and correlate even the strict training with lower crime, lower accident rates with firearms. And you can't, it doesn't even correlate in statistics. You talk about correlation and causation Mm -hmm. and how correlation doesn't even equal causation. Well, you can't even show correlation in these states. You know, you look at Illinois, which has very restrictive gun laws and training requirements and things, and they have a very bad violent crime rate. Where I live in Kentucky, which is a very lax state as far as gun laws, and we have a much lower violent crime rate. You know, I look at uh, a person that's 65 years old or maybe older that is confined to their home, they don't leave their house, wouldn't need the same kind of training that I would that I carry a gun everywhere I go. And we own I mean, a store, right. you know, and we're so, in a retail sure. environment. So no man, there is no way that a mandatory training course would be good for everyone. Sure. And, and when you're talking mandatory, again, it's going to be something that's man, mandated by the government. It's going to be built to a one-size-fits-all standard when clearly one size doesn't fit all. Right. Well, and uh, I, you know, I keep saying don't fix what's not broken. We are not seeing, and I know you're just talking about there's just too many variables out there to really find out, you know, states that have mandatory training and ones that don't and and that. But we're just not seeing it here, especially in Arizona, where we went from having to have a concealed carry license to concealed carry to now having constitutional carry, which means there's no training involved at all, required at all. And people thought there was going to be blood in the streets and there was going to be mayhem and people accidentally shooting themselves and others. And you know what? It's not happening. Right. And, and I kind of have a, a theory, and I don't, I don't know how to quantify it, but if you look at states, say, California, Illinois, Massachusetts, New York, where even gun ownership is much more difficult to do, and it's not as culturally accepted as states like, say, Arizona, where you guys live, or Kentucky, where I live, which are much more kind of gun-friendly culturally, I think the the existence of the culture of gun ownership is already there so the education is kind of systemic cultural it's already happening where you've got a kid that grows up in southern california he's not growing up with a gun in his house he's not learning from an early age safety and proper gun handling procedures where i know i did and a lot of people that had my kind of upbringing did so i i've got to believe that that's probably got something to do with it i don't know how we put a number on it but the the old they call it gun culture 1.0 <laughs> right um you know i think that having that embedded in in the culture in different areas of the country has probably got something to do with that well we've got just about two minutes i definitely want people to know how to follow you and i also want you to talk just real briefly about maybe some some stick versus carrot, right? Maybe some positive incentives. Right. And and I'm, I'm a big fan of this and I'd love to see this kind of get going instead of these coercive punitive laws that, that punish the law abiding citizen for trying to exercise that right. I think there's more positive ways that we can do that. You know, we talk about the expense of going and taking training. Well, there's certainly ways that we can defray that expense. For example, offer the positive incentive of a tax write off for firearms training. Mm Mm-hmm to make it more affordable to go get that training rather than punishing people and disenfranchising them of their gun rights for not getting training, give them a positive incentive. We do it all the time with say 
energy efficient appliances or or systems in your home, you get a tax benefit from the government for doing that because they want to encourage that behavior. I agree with that, except for one thing. Just make sure that we can get a tax credit, but not mandatory training. Sure. We voluntarily do our training. We pay for the course. They'll give us a rebate. That's awesome. Exactly. Just a positive incentive, just something out there, just like Cheryl said, the carrot instead of the stick. You know, we're not going to make you go get the training, but if you do, we're going to help make it more affordable for you. Absolutely. Well, tell us how we can find you and follow you, and then we've got to say goodbye. Uh, my training company, Aegis Solutions, is on Facebook. If you just search for Aegis Solutions LLC, you'll find me there. And I write on gun rights at Ken Blanchard's blackmanwithagun.com website. Awesome. Well, Dave, I know we're going to bring you back on. We've got lots we can pick your brain about. So I appreciate you taking the time with us. Always happy to talk to you guys. Thanks. All right, Dave Cole. Well, stick around because right after this break, we are going to introduce you to a congressman out of Oklahoma, Steve Russell, who is many things, has worn many, many hats, including being a manufacturer and owner of Two Rivers Arms. Go figure that. Stick around. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And we are excited right now to introduce you to Oklahoma Congressman Steve Russell, who was a special guest speaker for the Ladies of the D.C. Project when we were recently in the nation's capital. Uh, Congressman Russell is a 21-year veteran of the United States Army. Thank you for your service, sir. And 
whose unit played a key role in the capture of Saddam Hussein, which is documented in Congressman Russell's book, We Got Him, a memoir of the hunt and capture of Saddam Hussein. And if all of that weren't enough, he is also a gun manufacturer and owner of Two Rivers Arms. Welcome to the show, Congressman Russell. Thanks. It's great to be with you. Well, I am so excited that we were able to connect because when we were in D.C., you gave such a wonderful talk to to the ladies of the D.C. Project, basically breaking down the questions that that people ask that are based in misinformation or disinformation. And I thought, man, if we could just bring that to the listeners of our show you were able to cover so much, uh, so many topics in such a brief amount of time. And you didn't just read this somewhere. You you live it because you're a manufacturer of firearms. Well, there's so many uh, misnomers and very poor information, especially in the political world. And I face it all the time from my colleagues in Congress. Uh, so what I decided to put together for my own colleagues and just for constituents uh, was Um, smart answers to typical questions uh, that people uh, ask all the time or dumb questions that uh, people that want to take away firearms will uh, often pepper us with. And just to give you a couple of examples, you know, the big one, uh, you see uh, politicians quoting all the time, 33,000 gun homicides a year, uh, 90 a day, I think uh, Mrs. Clinton had uh, said, and then she goes on to talk about the 33,000. But what the American public doesn't realize is that more than 60% of that are suicides. Mm-hmm. And if you take the actual murders, uh, 8,124 were with firearms. And that is a 9% decline since 2010, a 20% decline in gun violence uh, murders since 2005, and a 50% decline since 1995. And those would and be so, inconvenient facts, wouldn't they? Uh, that's right. I mean, if you have any law or any, I mean, our, our shell uh, issue laws, uh, concealed carry, uh, our law enforcement cooperation, the mixed checks, all of that has clearly demonstrated a 50% reduction in gun murder since 1995. Wow. Okay, what does that tell you? That tells you the laws are working. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell you we need to disarm American citizens. Absolutely. But then, you know, there's those scary guns out there that everybody wants to call an assault rifle, right? So why wouldn't we want to get rid of those? Well, first off, uh, you know, assault rifles only uh, can be sold uh, to the military or to law enforcement. An assault rifle is a medium uh, cartridge, uh, medium range, uh, select fire, uh, which means it will fire like a machine gun. Uh, or semi-automatic, uh, what? and those are not available to the general public. Semi-automatic firearms constitute the vast majority of rifles owned in the United States today. And if you want to target rifles of any kind, of the 8,124 murders that were conducted in the last uh, statistical year, all of them tragedies, but of that number, only 248 were with rifles. Of any kind, mm-hmm. and whether it was a breech loader, muzzle loader, or a semi-automatic AR-15, doesn't matter. Only 248. So, as a percent of the 8,000 
124 murders, 248 with rifles. Mm. And to put that into perspective, you had in other categories of non-firearm-related murders, you had more than uh, 600 that were done with blunt objects, blunt or blunt instruments. Uh, you had uh, 400, uh, I think, uh, uh, actually, and then you had 600 that were done uh, with clubs and feet and mm-hmm. fists, mm-hmm. Uh, or or fist and feet. You know, so again, these are the they want to take statistics. They want to demonize the lawful gun owner, and they want to, you know, clearly demonstrate or show that we do not have a God-given inalienable right to defend ourselves. You know, talking about the distinction between what a, a true assault rifle is, which is, you know, the, the full auto and, you know, available to the military, and right. the the semi-auto AR-15 that, you know, Dan and I sell them in our store right sure. now, lawfully to people, you know, they go through the, the federal background check and that sort of thing. Why do you think that, you know, we, we look at firearms as tools. They're just a tool to do a specific job. So why do you think that there's been so much focus on, on demonizing and doing away with the specific tool that's called the AR-15? What, what's your take I, on that? I think it's incrementalism. Uh, they look for any uh, toehold that they can get uh, so that they can take away the right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's really no other logical explanation for it. If they were really concerned about gun violence, if they were really concerned about the most destructive firearms uh, that are used. And let's go examine uh, inner-city Chicago's uh, gun violence, or Detroit's gun violence, or better yet, Washington, D.C.'s gun violence. Mm -hmm. And let's look at the handguns. Let's look at the laws. Let's look at all of the restrictions that they've laid on American citizens. (laughs) If they were truly concerned about any of these things, uh, then they would examine them on the volume uh, to see how that they could better combat and reduce crime in those areas. Instead, they're going after things that have absolutely no bearing on crime uh, as a percent uh, of the problem in the United States. Congressman Russell, this is Dan. Hey, I just wonder how you have, when you have your closed meetings with your other congressmen, when you give them these facts, do they sway at all, or do they, are they just locked on, and they're not going to listen no matter what? No, well, I can tell you, and I'm a Republican from Oklahoma, I can tell you that the uh, colleagues in, in, uh, in my conference, when we meet, and I've, I've brought these things before them, given them tools, I can't tell you the numbers. In fact, uh, when I first released some of this data to them, which, by the way, all of these statistics come from those vast, unreliable bastions known as the FBI and the ATF, <laughs> uh, you know, because I, I even got asked by a uh, Bernie Sanders supporter at a town hall uh, a week or so ago in my district, and, uh, you know, these topics came up, and I began to, you know, spout the statistics, and he says, well, where are you getting your data, NRA? And I said, no, how about the FBI and the ATF? Mm, mm, mm. And he didn't know what to say. <laughs> And I so as I am able to present these types of facts, um, when I released this uh, to our conference, I had scores, literally scores of my colleagues on the Republican side come up to me and say, thank you for giving me that information. I used it in a town hall. I used it on a teletown hall. I used it on the radio. I used it at a, a local television interview. And these are the types of facts that have absolutely helped us fight this problem. 
Well, even if you look at the, the facts that the FBI and the ATF give you, the common sense facts, I mean, look at places like California, Detroit, like you mentioned, the crime is in D.C. I mean, I was really I was kind of afraid when I was in some of the areas of D.C. Um, when we were there last time. Yeah, we, went, we, we, had, we had to go to the hospital and I guess what they called center of D.C. And I was terrified. Even when I went inside, I was I was terrified. But at any rate, when people see that, OK, in a gun area. We, that's legal to have guns. We don't have the problems in a non-gun area. We have these problems. Isn't that a common sense? Hey, we need to wake up here and think about what we're doing here. Well, and I think part of it is when we when we begin to have these these discussions where we can, you know, without demonizing one side or the other, what we can start laying out is like, look, is your goal to reduce gun murder? in the United States. And they would say, well, yes. And it's like, okay, um, then we need to find ways to collectively and individually allow Americans to defend themselves. And the collective ways that we can do, uh, we can work uh, with law enforcement. Uh, we can look at how we do the mixed background check system. I, I, I am certain I am the only congressman that has called in hundreds of mixed background checks. Um, I I mean, I know the system. Right. And there are some things that we could do that could probably aid law enforcement. There's things that states could do to aid on the mental health adjudication. A lot of times, uh, you know, when we fill out a 4473 or uh, when we purchase a firearm or or when we as a licensees will you know give it to uh, people to fill out uh, there are ways that the next background could check mental adjudication where it's done by a judge it's done by a court which is the lawful way that it should be done state databases sometimes are not sharing that information with the fbi if they did they might be able to catch a few more things where those purchases would be blocked and you know what as a, as a gun manufacturer I, I would like to have that kind of a, you know certainty myself that if something goes across the counter, it's going to somebody that's not been adjudicated in a court, is not being mentally competent. And yep. so there are things that we can do uh, to improve, but no one's even having those discussions. Instead, they're demonizing firearms or they're demonizing uh, the NRA or they're demonizing the American gun owners. You know, I had a gun shop back in the early 80s, and... They didn't have the NICS check back then, and when we sold a gun, they filled out the form just like they do now, sure. and we had to interpret whether that person was legally okay to buy the gun, whether he wasn't right. lying, all that. And it was a very uncomfortable situation for sure. us, and now, with having the background checks, that's something I don't have to, to worry. I mean, I still right. worry because you want know, to make sure they're not lying on the form and that, but it is right. a sense of relief that, but we have to be careful about what laws we we want. Well, absolutely. And, and we kind of tread both sides of that line where as citizens, we, we really like the idea of shall not be infringed, period, end of story. But then as gun shop owners, we like having kind of that better business bureau of shoppers, sure. you know, right. tell us if there's any reason why we shouldn't sell a gun here. But then here's this whole idea of a universal background check that it I am uncomfortable with. Can you talk about that a little bit? How do you sure. feel well, about that? I, you know, I think what's important to, as we have any debate upon 
background checks is that the NICS system works. I mean, we're, we're talking millions of checks, and it has pre- it has prevented large numbers of sales that should not have occurred. And so that's success. It has also reduced crime, uh, along with our shell uh, issue laws uh, in the various states. Because as I've portrayed, we've had a 50% reduction in gun murder since 1995. What does that tell you? That tells you that the measures that we've put in place, that the industry has worked with, that law enforcement has worked with, that American citizens have said, yeah, we can, we can vote for that. We can subscribe to that. We can put ourselves under that check, that burden, um, because it has some measure of certainty without infringing upon our rights. That's working. 50% reduction. So it's important to have that backdrop first. And then on universal checks, look, I, you know, that doesn't need to be done uh, on anything other than a system that is trying to ferret out criminals. We don't need to go and, and dig into people's private lives, to dig into people's property, uh, to dig into all of these things uh, uninvited. If I want to purchase a firearm, I submit myself to a next check. I still have to, even even as an owner of a manufacturing business. I can make it, but I can't transfer it to me <laughs> until I do the background check. Yeah. Well, so my, actually, I can't do the background check on myself. I have right. to get one of my employees to do it on me. Right. Uh, because lawfully, I can't do it on myself. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we uh, the, the video that you put out kind of answering these questions, yeah. which I've got attached to your guest page on gunfreedomradio.com, you you lean into the Fourth Amendment when you're talking about the universal background check. And, you know, I think so few of us have ever even read the Constitution. Sure. And so we we know, oh, the Second Amendment, that has to do with guns. The First Amendment, okay, that's my freedom of speech and religion. But Fourth, um, can't quite put my finger on that one. Yeah. So, well, you know, it, it basically says you have a, a right to privacy. You have a right, and that, that by implication is right to your property your papers, your personal correspondence. In the digital age, that has extended uh, to communication. Uh, you know, the, these are things that are fundamental all the way back to the Magna Carta, Blackstone's Law, which our framers and founders clearly understood when they put together the Constitution. And Madison wanted a guarantee uh, that these inalienable rights would be preserved. Uh, and so that's how we ended up with the Bill of Rights, uh, which were to guarantee individual liberties in assertions and statements with the preamble to that, Congress shall make no law that, and then you got the list. Mm -hmm. And so it's very important that we tread those lines. Uh, And then, you know, now (laughs) people are so ignorant uh, among my colleagues in Congress uh, on, on the language of the Bill of Rights that now they're saying, you know what the, the first three words of the Second Amendment are uh, well-regulated, and by golly, we're going to regulate the Second Amendment. I mean, <laughs> I heard that on the House floor. I, I like to fell over dead because a well-regulated militia meant you know, efficient, proficient, well-drilled. I mean, it, there's just mountains of correspondence that attest to that. And then the militia, there's mountains of correspondence that attest that that's the people. What is the militia? It is the people, and those very phrases are even, even there. But but once again, when when we're erasing World War II out of our history books, what chance do we have with oh. the Constitution? So they're saying so a well-regulated militia. That means a well-controlled by the government militia. 
Well, that's what the yeah. new yeah, they're saying interpretation that firearms is. should be regulated because it says they're well regulated in the Second Amendment. I heard that out of a congressman's mouth. Wow. Well, that's part of that. Like you said, it's an ignorance, not right. not in a you know like we're we're casting aspersions, but just you know they don't know, and no, and sometimes don't. there's a willfulness to their not knowing because once but they know, the, the problem too is that you know one of the reasons that I. You know, we, we come home and we just get browbeaten and beat up. Like, you guys, you're a bunch of rhinos. You ain't stopping nobody. You know, they're getting away with murder. And then, you know, you're attacking the very people yeah. that, that are really on your side. Right. Well, what's important is that people that are firearms advocates, like you ladies did when you came, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a few weeks ago to D.C., you put a human face on it. You're mm-hmm. able to sit down. You're able to share your stories. You're able to tell those things. Me, I'm able to put information in the hands of my colleagues. Like, look, here's the ammunition you need. Here's mm-hmm. how you counter those arguments. You do it with civility. You do it with the facts. You lay it out. That's how we have to have to do it. Because if we attack the very people that are going to be advocates in this fight, we're not going to get anywhere. It's so true. I, and I, I talk about that a lot on this show, that I think we forget that uh, our Congress people, our senators, are human beings. They have lives. They have family. And if we cut them, will they bleed? Yes. You know, sure. so, you know, we're not going to agree with every single thing that our representatives do. But if we are the Monday morning quarterbacks who aren't even telling you on Sunday the play we'd like you to make, then you, we just need to shut up and go home. Well, and, and help us with research. I mean, when I get people, you know, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a master's in history. I know how to research. I know how to do a lot of things. And, you know, being a member of Congress, I can snap my fingers and get a lot of resources that come my way through the Library of Congress or the National Archives. It's wonderful. But the average citizen out there can come with some incredible stories. It's like, look, you know, here's how gun shop A, B, and C in your district help bust up an organized crime ring or help solve a murder or help stop gun crimes by working with law enforcement, ATF, your local gun shops are doing it. These are good news stories, Mm -hmm. but people, you know, people don't hear them. Why? Well, I don't know. I, you know, people should come and, and inform their member of Congress, give them the good stories, give them the, the facts, give them the things that help them and find a way to put it succinctly. And, I would recommend this, too. Uh, as important as it is to try to meet with folks in Washington, as you've seen, our schedules in Washington are just, you know, every every minute is mm-hmm. managed. Mm-hmm. When we're home in our districts, we typically can schedule time for mm-hmm. our local constituents. You know, it's not uncommon that you can, you know, you can get uh, 15, 20 minutes to come in and talk with us on an issue around our table where it's a lot more relaxed. We're at home. We're in a better mood. You know, so <laughs> a lot of it is just strategy of how mm-hmm. how you would bring the information to us. Mm-hmm. You know, I was told that years ago that we just need to go and talk to our congressman. We need to do that. And I never did it. But once I did, I see the magic that it is that just the connection that you get by talking face to face with somebody the respect, the, you know, even if it's not an issue that the congressman is necessarily for, but giving your side of the story, he's going to think about that later on yeah. before he makes a decision. And I, there's so many people out there that just don't understand 
gun culture that are well, in true. That, and, very and, few in Congress. And if we fight with them, they're never going to learn it. But if we go with an open door and and conversations, they might cross that fence. Well, the other thing too is you provide them a resource on a lot of pieces of legislation, regardless of the topic. If I know a businessman or woman back home that they're expert on that, I'll pick up the phone and say, "Hey, what would this bill do?" And they're like, "Well, man, we've been waiting for that for twenty years. That's great, or that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of. <laughs> right, Don't do right. that. That has a big influence, you know. So well, it's important. I, I can't emphasize that enough because you know, like Dan said, we're we're I'm forty nine. He's sixty one. Neither one of us had ever reached out to our representatives until I got involved in the DC project recently. Yeah, which is wonderful. Thank you. And because we just, as a culture, I think we hold our representatives and our, our president up on these pedestals and they're like these lofty creatures and we're not allowed to reach out, you know, to the celebrities and right. n- nothing could be farther from the truth. And I love hearing you say that. Well, you know, I was a soldier most of my adult life, never thought I'd be doing any of this. And now that I'm in the position, you know, it's very important that I can bring some of these perspectives and some of this experience to my colleagues. Because as Americans, we all want to see a defense of, of, of our inalienable rights. And the Second Amendment is fundamental to our entire way of life and government in the United States. Well, we've got to start wrapping up, and we so appreciate all the time you've spent with us. But I have to ask you, what what's your take on this looming election that we oh. have hanging out there? I'm, I'm, I have as much anxiety about it as I think uh, I think every American. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to uh, you know, my personal faith leads me uh, to uh, you know the Apostle Paul, where he says, "Be anxious for nothing, but <laughs> in everything by prayer." And uh, supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God uh, will come to you. I'm hoping for that. Yeah, but I, I got to tell right? you, we we've got the giant unpopularity contest going on in the country right now, mm. and uh, I, I I cannot go with Mrs. Clinton, uh, not as a soldier, as a foreign policy expert, as a congressman, uh, as a firearms uh, manufacturer. I, I I just can't go in that direction. Uh, but, you know, I'm not unlike a lot of Americans that have anxiety about Mr. Trump. Uh, but I, I can uh, more readily cast a ballot in that direction than I can uh, with Mrs. Clinton. It's a, unfortunate we only have two choices that are going to make the difference. And sure. we want to keep, you know, what I look at is the, my rights. Anybody that wants to mess with my rights is not going to get my vote. And it comes to either we're going to be able to have guns or not have guns. She's made it very clear that she's going to fight our second amendment. Oh, she will. And so we we really have no choice. I mean, there's some things about Trump, but the thing I like about Trump is that he is a manager. He makes other people do his jobs. And, you know, sometimes you get good managers, sometimes you get bad managers, but overall he's a good leader about making people do their jobs. So, well, I, we certainly have uh, heard positive things on his views on the Second Amendment. You know, so yes. on that issue, there's a sharp contrast. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, I definitely want to remind people that uh, they should check out your Two Rivers Arms website. That's TwoRiversArms.com, correct? That's correct. And we just came out in uh, our fourth 
Gun Magazine. Uh, this month's edition of uh, Combat Arms by Guns and Ammo uh, features our Tabuk sniper rifle. And uh, we also, uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, a lot of other places. You know, I, I can't uh, you know promote or, or advocate sales or any of that. I get in trouble. Uh, but, you know, go and check it out. You can contact the company and, and all of that. Do you ever come to the Phoenix SAR show? Uh, I, I haven't, and uh, it's not likely, um, you know, that I, I can in my current capacity. I could come as a congressman. I don't know that I could come as a firearms man. Oh, it's it's a, it's, gotcha. a, it's an awesome show. Uh, you, if you get a chance, you should you should come. Absolutely, yeah. or maybe the the shot show in Vegas. Yeah, I'm very familiar with them. Uh, it's just that you know now uh, you wear a different hat, right? I wear a different hat, and I'm prohibited from doing certain things. I mean, I, you know, I'm still an owner of my company, but I'm limited in the activity that I can do. Uh, but there are some things out there where you can learn about it. And then also go to russell.house.gov. Uh, or our Facebook Congressman Steve Russell, and you can see the video uh, also that you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, and and get updates, uh, and then you have it also on your website. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much, Congressman bet, Steve Cheryl. Russell. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Well, I think that was definitely time well spent, uh, and definitely go to uh, the websites that Congressman Russell. Uh, suggested and also if you go to gunfreedomradio.com click on the guest tab you will find a guest page for congressman russell there with uh, several links that pertain to him we'll stick around because we still have uh, our responsibly armed citizen report we have dan's tip of the week and we also have an article that dan wants to dive into that he's probably going to rant just a little bit about and it has to do with uh some commutations. There's a word for you. I don't know that word, but I, I know what I want to rant about. <laughs> All right. Stick around after this. Be a part of the gold rush and head on down to see my Be a part of the gold rush and head on down to see my friends at Potty Gold Auctions in Avondale, Arizona. Or check out the auction online at PottyGoldEstate.com. These folks auction off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Everything is going, going, gone. So you best hurry and tell them Don Collier sent you. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. Absolutely. AZFirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. AZFirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit AZFirearms.com. Come listen to the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Hear about armed civilians protecting people they love. Were they lucky or were they prepared? Come listen and learn at selfdefensegunstories.com. 
Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And Dan, I have something important I want to share with everyone. I I am on the the board of directors with the Chamber of Commerce, the Southwest Valley Chamber of Commerce, out in the Goodyear, Avondale, Litchfield area. And we have a big event coming up. It is the 2016 Biz to Biz Expo. It's Thursday, August 25th at the luxurious Wigwam Resort in Litchfield Park, Arizona. Meet hundreds of local businesses at West Valley Chamber Alliance's biggest expo of the year. Come out for your chance to win raffle prizes, sample delicious food from local restaurants, and just have a whole lot of fun. Admission and parking are free at biz to biz Contact the Southwest Valley Chamber of Commerce at 623-932-2260. biz to biz Thursday, August 25th. Be a part of the excitement. Cheryl, I've got, that's great. And you know, last year I won four tickets on the center line at the football game. It was awesome. That's right. So oh my gosh. Good. So I'm going to go win some more of those. <laughs> go Cardinals. You know, this week was really disturbing for me because the President Obama. The uh, President Obama? Yes, because <laughs> he decided to let, to give a parole or whatever. To commute the sentences. Of commutation of sentences. 214 people. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, that's okay. You know, if people, I think that some people deserve a chance. Any nonviolent crimes, I'm for mm-hmm. that. People you know, deserve a second chance, right? Yeah. But then when you read down further and you find out that a fourth, that's 25%, that's what? About 50 people. 50 people were, had gun-related crimes. What? Gun-related crimes. Wait now, a minute. So I look at this and I go, Obama says, we need, we, need more, we need more gun control. We need more of this. We need more firearms control. Right. And Isn't then, he the one that always says he had no problem getting right. his hands on a weapon? Isn't that kind of his catchphrase? And so for him... To take and put, you know, that many people back on the streets that were firearm-related crimes. Wow. It, it, it's very disturbing for me. And it, it's just like, the only thing I can think of, uh, of, you know, we talked earlier, crime rate is down 50% with guns. Mm-hmm. So if he lets people out of prison that have gun-related crimes, then they can make the crimes higher again and justify well, taking our guns away. you know, that, that could be a little bit tinfoil hat-like. It could be a little bit of a conspiracy. <laughs> Take off your tinfoil hat. But listen, you know, the whole uh, gun walking thing, the whole Fast and Furious scandal was, we have come to find out in later years, has was designed to show that guns being sold through small gun shops like azfirearms.com are creating and adding to crime rates. That was the kind of the goal that they had set in, in their minds. And this is the, the Department of Justice under Eric Holder during President Obama's presidency. Fast and Furious, check it out. It sounds like a complete tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. It's not. It is for real. So maybe what you said isn't isn't too far off the mark, but I do want to give credit to um, the the article that brought this to our attention. It was written uh, by John Richardson. 
He's a friend of ours. He's on the Polite Society podcast, but he also has a blog site called No Lawyers, Only Guns and Money, which I think is a, a cute name for a, a blog because it kind of plays off the Warren Zevon song, right? Send Lawyers, Guns and Money. Uh, the poop has hit the fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was the, wondering how you were going to read that part. But, but okay. the uh, <laughs> the article was dated August 5th, and it's called Commutations and Felons in Possession. And I'm curious, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, after you read that that article, what your thoughts are on but I don't, that. But I don't know that I'm wearing a tin hat because, I mean, he did let 214 people out of prison. Mm-hmm. That Check that off. That's the truth. Check. Mm-hmm. 25% of them were, had firearms convictions. Check that off. Check. So I don't know where you know, the tin hat thing right, comes but, in effect. And doesn't it completely nullify... I don't know. How does he still stand on the the platform of there's too many guns out there, you know, that uh, people, it's too easy for them to get their hands on guns. And then, oh, but these crimes are nonviolent, even though these these felons had guns in their possession. We're just going to let these 50 go. I I just cannot understand how he marries those two ideas together. And let somebody that had 9,445 kilograms of cocaine, eh, nonviolent, eh, you know what? Well, and so, you know, somebody might say, well, you know, it was wrong because he was selling drugs, but he was a businessman, so it was nonviolent, right? I mean, you're, you'll hear people say that, but... By the way, he didn't build it. <laughs> Don't go there. Okay, but uh, John Richardson makes the point in his article that, you know, junkies right? Junkies will do anything for their next fix, including killing you or me for the change in our pockets because it's, it is a sickness. They are, they are not right in the head because the drug is, is what is controlling their, their whole body, their whole mind. But when you say junkies, let's just make this clear. We're not talking about Sanford and Sons going out <laughs> picking up junk, right? We're talking oh, damn. junkies, right? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. All right. Well, let's move along because it is time for our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report. Fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Well, making a stop at a convenience store late at night, has it's always a risky proposition, right? It seems like danger spends a lot of time at convenience stores, and he especially hangs out there late at night. How often do we hear about danger visiting violence upon people in these kinds of places? Perhaps that is why Carol Miracle, a 23-year-old woman in Glendale, Arizona, had a holstered firearm on her hip this week as she stopped at a local Circle K market. Danger clearly picked the wrong young woman to try to victimize. When Danger pointed his gun at Carol's head with complete disregard for her as a human being, seeing her merely as easy prey and demanding her money, he expected a young 23-year-old woman to cower before him and comply with any demands he made of her. Danger wasn't prepared to meet a woman like Carol, who was prepared to protect her life and not be a victim of Danger. And Carol ended dangerous plans on the spot. A woman robbed at gunpoint, but even with the gun pointed at her, she refuses to become a victim. Instead, Glendale police say she grabbed her own gun 
and shot the suspect. This all taking place at a Circle K near 59th Avenue in Camelback Road very early this morning. Our Ty Brennan has been following the story for us and he has the latest tie. Yeah, Glendale police say that that 23-year-old woman grabbed her own gun that was holstered on her hip and fired one shot killing that would-be robber. This was the scene early Monday morning as Glendale police tried to piece together how a man was shot at this Circle K at 59th Avenue in Camelback. Police say they found this man, 27-year-old Frank Taylor, with a gunshot wound. He was transported to the hospital where he later died. A while later, they received a 911 call from a 23-year-old woman named Carol Miracle. She said she shot Taylor after he tried to rob her at gunpoint. According to police, witnesses told them that they saw Taylor try to rob her and that's when she grabbed the gun she had holstered on her hip and shot him once. Police are now looking at this as a possible self-defense case. The law is that if a person reasonably believes um, that there's a threat, that somebody is threatening them with physical force that's either going to cause serious physical injury or death, um, you are justified in using deadly force. Russ Reichelsoff is a criminal defense attorney. He is not associated with this particular case, but gave us insight into the laws here in Arizona. This case is now in the hands of the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. He says they'll be looking at her statement as well as witness statements to determine whether she could be facing any charges. This is a local story that happened in Arizona just a couple days ago, and you know, one of the things that the news didn't say is that she shot him in self-defense, but then went home and called 911. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not comfortable with that piece of the story. I am, is- I'm not either. And it, it seems like there might be more to this story. But the reason I brought that up, because as a responsible citizen, mm-hmm. and there may be circumstances that I don't know. Right, right. As a responsible citizen, if you end up preventing a crime and you have to shoot someone, mm-hmm. you need to stay at the scene. Right. You can't go home. Now, if there was a, a danger for you staying there, then I could understand that you left. Mm-hmm. But here's what happens. I mean, you think about it. You left the scene. Well, was did you have something illegal on you? Did you do something wrong? Mm-hmm. These are things you're going to put yourself into and you need to be very careful about. So, Stay at the scene if it's safe to stay at the scene. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. And we don't want to you know, cast any suspicion on the story. But it just, you know, when I'm trying to pick these stories out, I try to be sure that there's nothing, no huge red flags um, to say, oh, this was an armed citizen, but maybe not responsibly armed and didn't yes. behave responsibly. And so we always try to, you know, be fair and, and point out anything that, that might need to be pointed out. Well, guess what time it is, Dan? I'm not sure. What time is it, Cheryl? My tip of the week is, let's get loaded. <laughs> wow. Really? That's your, that's your title? Well. Are you going to expound on that? You I, always make me explain my themes. I guess I will. We had a customer come in the store. I'm not going to say if it was a man or a woman or who they were. Just a customer. And... They had a revolver, and they loaded the gun backwards. What? I don't even know how that's possible. Loaded the gun but backwards? But let's just say this. I had to use a rubber mallet to clear the gun. So, so they wait a forced minute. Him. The gun didn't close, of course. Right. But they is, that, tried, is a handgun? Yes. Okay. And they tried a revolver. Okay. And they tried to load it 
through but, the opposite side of the cylinders. No, the cylinder wouldn't close, like I said, but they forced it in, and I actually had to use a rubber mallet on a loaded gun. Whoa. So what I'm saying is, let's get loaded, is let's learn how to use your firearm. Yeah. You know, I'm all for a new person having a firearm, and I'm, I don't, I'm not making fun of that person. No, not but at all. you're handling a firearm. This can be, I don't want to call it a dangerous firearm, but they are capable of doing harm and you need to know how to use it and to train yourself. Just like you don't get a car and drive it blindfold. Right. You need to know how it works. Right. So learn how, you know, get somebody, you buy a gun, get somebody to take you out and shoot it before you load it, before you do anything, get somebody to give you training if you don't know how to use it. And that's okay if you don't know how to use a gun. Exactly. It's Everybody's got to learn you, at some point. You can come on our store and you can never have touched a gun in your life. We will sell you a gun. We will advise you to get training before you load the gun, before you do anything. And we'll give you some tips, but you need training. Well, and thank goodness this person was um, wise enough to bring the firearm with the jammed round going in the wrong direction to a trained gunsmith instead of trying to um, figure out how to dig that bullet out, dig yeah, that round out. Yeah, it's kind of... I, I don't like using a hammer for working on guns. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, you know what? What a great show this was. I, I really enjoyed today. I, every Saturday I do. We have the most amazing guests who take time out on a Saturday when they could be with their families and doing anything besides chatting with us on Gun Freedom Radio. So I so appreciate all of our guests for, for bringing their wisdom and their life stories and their life experiences um, and again, our le- our listeners, same thing. You listeners out there, we'd just be talking to ourselves if it wasn't for you. And you could be doing anything with these two hours of of your life. And whether you listen to us live on Saturday or whether you catch us on demand at gunfreedomradio.com, we appreciate so much. Time is our most finite resource. And when you choose to spend your time with us, we are deeply appreciative of that. So thank you. And our tech crew, you're awesome. Thank you for, for keeping me on time. Thank you for hitting all of our cues and playing our, our little ding-dong music for dance. <laughs> Tip of the week that he loves so much. Until next time, please pray for this nation of ours. Please pray for our leaders. All of them? Even the ones you don't like especially the ones you don't like. Be good to each other. Have a great week and God bless. Our founding fathers here in this country brought about the only true revolution that has ever taken place in man's history. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another set of rulers. But only here, did that little band of men so advanced beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since evolve the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. But freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children 
what it once was like in America when men were free.